recorded live. Fragments of Silicon, where you're never as old as you were yesterday. Feeling the age of your birthday? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> More on that later. Right. Welcome to another installment of Fragments of Silicon. Uh, I'm your host, Adam. Joining me, as always, are Gallitz. Hello. Petty Fan. I taste like Zima. I'm like, so you taste like Sprite with alcohol. <laughs> uh, Indeed. Yeah. I, 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 I had Zima back in the 90s. The, the kind of things I cut my teeth on getting drunk back in the day, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's like they didn't have the most sterling of reputations, but that's a story for another day. Anyway, uh, and Ogre. Screw you, Gollix. I'm Benjamin Buttoning this thing. Oh no, I broke. Now I'm breaking Benjamin Button. Ow! Yeah. And we're just waiting to say. Save that one for a hashtag wars. Yeah. I can't remember the last time I participated in Hashtag Wars. But again, I tend not to watch Ed Night because, you know, Colbert. Anyway, uh, let's see. Now let's get to the news. Uh, let's start with Ogre this week. <sighs> I think spring finally decided to take root over here. Knock on Because while it's chilly, it's still, you know, warm-ish. To the point that you're not wondering if there's going to be snow one day when you look out and you curse Mother Nature. Which just happened. Yeah, which happened last week. <laughs> <laughs> that I can say truthfully, because my God. Uh, let me see. Finished Ocarina of Time. Mm-hmm. Pretty much got everything out of the way. I did realize that I don't think we've actually ever took on the uh, running man the other day, but since you don't get, you anything, get anything from him... Yeah, I was going to say, you just get... I really don't consider right? that, like, a, too much of a loss, but I'm it like, would have been at least nice to have that in there. So it goes. Like, I, I, I'm, uh, sure, I'm sure well, your period of fans will be heartbroken. Yeah, yeah. And we never got the highly in load, so God forbid that we get everything correct. Yeah. So I... <laughs> I think the fun part is is that for years I still considered the Hylian Loach just a joke. I didn't actually realize it was a thing. <laughs> yeah, it's a thing. And then I think I saw Gerard's video and I was like, oh my god, it is a real thing. Yeah. So how do you feel that uh, Offering of Time is over? I'm done with Yeah. Pretty good. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a fun game. It's just that mm-hmm. it it it's it. It didn't feel that long in comparison. Right. It only felt as long because of the whole three up the three games uh, upload schedule. So yeah, you, I mean, you've actually been working on the game for about four months or something like that. Maybe five. Like I think you started in November last year. So, yeah, four and a half months. 
feels like it's a little longer than it should be, but uh, once again, that's more uh, that's more because you know you're you're doing three games instead of two. Yeah. Anyway, so have you picked something for uh, the future yet, or? Yeah, we're already working on it. We recorded it, some of it earlier this week. Hmm. Should be fun. Was it going to be? Was it something? Going to be weird for a while because we still got to get into swinging and playing it. So. Was it something you picked, or was it something not to pick? Something I picked. Yeah. Still got to pick something at some point. Yeah, not that hasn't picked anything since it put these in cream, I think. Uh, <laughs> and we all saw how that went wrong. <laughs> well, that, that's because you guys are like the most musically disinclined people I know. The, ah, almost got it. Ah, almost got it. Oh, there we go. <laughs> uh, uh, let me see. Anything else happening? Oh, I started fumbling around with Fire Emblem Fates and Earthbound again. Go on. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, Fates, I'm just kind of going here and there on whatever story or branch I feel like. And mm-hmm. Earthbound, I'm kind of playing and realizing it's like, hey, this game's great, but it aged like molasses. Oh, and yet it was still better than Earthbound Beginnings. All right, let me tell you. Yeah, well, Earthbound Beginnings was like, I want to say beta into gold <laughs> kind of thing, but... Uh. Yeah, Earthbound uh, had many groundbreaking mechanics, but since then, many much ground has been broken in mechanics. Yeah, <laughs> uh, though apparently its programming was like literally decades ahead of its time, according to Cracked. Like, yeah, I saw a couple of those. I was like, I'm pretty sure a lot of characters use that. Yeah, I'm like the old yeah. pathfinding thing. Yeah, it's like but, uh, it wasn't just the Mach guy. Like there's Escar Go Express and there's the For Sale guy. Yeah. Uh, uh what else? Uh, oh yeah, doesn't Link to the Past come out tomorrow on 3DS? Yes, yes it does. Along with yeah, that's another thing I get to throw in my system and have fun with that and go like, wow, this is fun. Yeah. Where's my ocarina at? Oh, wait, I actually get that later. <laughs> it's like, that's actually insane. <laughs> they just called it the flute. Because no one knew what the hell an ocarina was back in, say... Yeah, but that this is still the first game where the instrument you get is visibly, obviously, an ocarina. Yeah. <laughs> rather than the recorder that it was in the classic game. Yeah. It's like a pipe read, almost. <laughs> I, I, I hope uh, it was one of those, because I, I could never get over the fact that you got a recorder in the uh, first game. You know, one of those shitty plastic doodads you got in the third grade. Well, it kind of is. It was probably a wooden one, and that is like a... I know. I, just, I think it's one of the most foundational woodwind instruments, basically. Well, yeah. I think the one, funny thing was at one point I actually used it, and I got transported to Super Mario Brothers 3, which was weird. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think the Koopas ever saw me coming with that sword. There's a game you need to do at some point, Super Mario Brothers 3. Oh, yeah, that'll be fun. Or rather, Super Mario Advance 4, Super Mario Brothers 3 on the Wii U, because that version actually has all the e-reader levels. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Uh, well, it's like, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I think we were trying to stop Mario games for a while, because... You've stopped Mario games for a while. Like, it's been... Jeez, I think... How long it's... has it been? What was our last one? Uh, maybe Sticker maybe Star? Mario stuff? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think it's been like a year, year and a half. You know, honestly, you, 
Yeah, honestly, you, you, it's kind of all switched over to Zelda. Uh, well, Nock had to take care of the uh, Link to the Past to finish off the Light Temple for Ocarina of Time. Right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, other than that, that's pretty much uh, everything, I guess, worthwhile. I don't know if Nock has got much. Uh, Barry's out of town for now. I Fortunately, I... she had a relative pass away last week, so she is over there for the funeral for the... I did not talk to Naka, so I don't know. Yeah. What, uh, like, the only thing I know is he was trying to apply to a, to get a Twitch membership. Uh, yeah, he's been trying for a couple months, but I guess they denied it this, for this month, so he's going to try again next month. Yeah, what he streams on Twitch already. What does a membership do? He gets paid for it. Ah. I think it's when you can do the whole subscribe thing. Yeah. And people can pay for subscriptions. Yeah, the thing is, I don't think Naka has the numbers to back it up. Like, I, I've seen his, you know, streaming chats. Like, he doesn't have a lot of people who follow him on the streaming side of things. Right. Which is what I suspect is why he got denied in the first place. But, you know, yeah. When, it, when first in doubt, try, try again. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Just keep trying until we get it. Yeah. And uh, that's pretty much it for me. So let's do Petty Fan next. We'll save Collins for second to last. Yeah. Um, I think How I have. exploded computer doing? I think it's back in order, finally. Because last Thursday, it kind of hit the bed on me. That was and it was glorious. Were sparks flying? Um, no. But Windows was inoperable. What parts did you have to fix, replace? I had to get a new hard drive to dump, to back up everything I could, and then reinstall Windows. <laughs> mm. Yay. Yeah. And this Monday... I'm actually going to be seeing about connecting my computer to the internet via Ethernet cable. So, no more lag. Okay. <laughs> no more dropping out for some reason. Uh, um, also, on Monday, we, I actually decided to go down and donate plasma because, hey, money. <laughs> yeah, that was a fun three hours. So, finally supporting your local vampire population? Yes. Yeah. Also, you almost lost our theme song. Yes, yes, I did. Yeah. Thankfully, I had a backup copy, so, you know, we didn't have to, like, put in the MSP thing. Well, see if Keith has, you know, those files still around. Yeah, once I have everything back to the way I want it, mm -hmm. I'm going to make what's called a system image. And that'll basically freeze time almost if something ever happens again. Yeah, so are you telling me that you're going to stop the time? Yeah. Yes, I'm going to pull a fucking Dio Brando. Because <laughs> I'm not sure where I put the ending theme or the... Uh, I don't think I ever got the, no, the, the transitional theme we use. Yeah, I think I can pass those out later if we need them. Mm -hmm. Just so someone has a backup in case something goes horribly wrong again. Yeah, I don't want to lose... Because if I lose both hard drives, I'm fucked. Let's be the awful. Yes. 
Anyway, that's why you got to get a portable hard drive and then seal it in a hermetic compartment and then bury it underground in the most geologically stable part of the country. So that'd be Missouri. <laughs> uh, we haven't had a earthquake here in like almost 200 years, so well, God, it'd be best you to bury. You don't have to go very far. It'd be best to bury it in North Carolina. I hear everyone's abandoning that place anyway. Well, that's true. All right, but yeah, I'm done. <laughs> so next. Well, it's... I'm 30 today. That's as many as three tens, and that's... Okay? Oh, that's I'm a baby! <laughs> but yeah, it's my birthday. I had to work and haven't done anything special yet, but we're going out to dinner tomorrow night, and... I don't know, some stuff. I got some mostly gift certificates for presents, because things I was thinking about asking for pretty much don't come out for another couple of weeks. I was going to ask for, like, Star Fox Zero, maybe. Yeah, all I'm asking for my birthday this year is money to get a new graphics card. <laughs> so, not exciting as birthdays past 25 happen to be, but I'm definitely feeling a little bit older, but, you know, I'm sure that'll pass. It will. Like age becomes more and more irrelevant the higher up you go. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to playing some more Hyrule Warriors and not particularly looking forward to playing Danganronpa 2, but I have to. Yes, <laughs> yes you do. At least I didn't lose that. That would have been a problem. <laughs> well, that, that's tied to your Steam account. Well, yeah, but if I had to re-download it... Fair enough, fair enough. Anyway, speaking of which, I guess it's my turn. Yeah. Uh, let's see, yeah, been playing a bit of Dang on Ron Pod 2. Really, I've only put about four and a half hours so far. Probably less than I should, but I'm like, I was just, just drained from Siege of Dragon Spear. Not just mm-hmm. playing the game itself, but all the fucking controversy. Because, well, I had to, I had to talk a lot about what was going on around that game. Not just for our review, but I was actually interviewed on Friday for, uh, a friend of mine's channel, and that turned into a very heated debate for about 45 minutes. Now, it's like, so, yeah, I just needed some time to recover, lest I just say, fuck it, not play the game, you know, not fulfill some obligations. You know. That being said, early impressions is, yeah, this is probably going to be a shorter review because, well, so far, Dongan Cut 2 really isn't rocking the boat mechanics wise. There are some changes, make no mistake, but I'm like, it's pretty similar to the first game in terms of mechanics, structure, and all that jazz. And the story is just as stupid as the first one. We'll get to that... Uh, when we review it, yeah. yeah. Also, we're going to do something different for the Dangan Pot 2 review. We are going to have spoilers in this one, both for the first game and the second game. I have told uh, Spike Trinsaw this, and they seem to be okay with it. Uh, you know, we're, we're going to do it like the Life is Strange review. If you didn't listen to that, well, first of all, go do that uh, after the show. But also, we have a special spoiler section. You know, we will talk about the the you know like the mechanics and the general story and all that stuff first. We'll play the transitional music, and then we will get into the story spoiler section. So that way, you will know where the spoilers are, and if you need to skip them or stop the bro- uh, broadcast there you are welcome to do that. 
Uh, let's see. Speaking of birthdays, well, it wasn't my birthday, but it was my mother's birthday um, past Saturday. Uh, I think I've mentioned this on the show before, but you know, took her to an Indian restaurant. She had a nice time. Uh, I rather enjoyed the food. Uh, uh, let's see. And I think that's about it as far as news for me goes. So, on terms of MSP, I'm assuming we're having a show this week. Yeah. Yeah. Mac implied we're going to, but that was a while ago, and we haven't heard from him since, so. And like I said, it's just going to be touch and go for the next year and a half. So, if we don't have it, hell, he could have forgotten again. I, I don't think we've, we've mentioned it on the show, but there have been some weeks where Max is like, oh, shit, right, a show. I'm like, I, I don't think it's come to that, but I'm like, it's happened in the past. Anyway, so assume MSP is happening, but if it doesn't, don't be surprised. Anyway, with, on that note, merrily we shall roll along to the interview portion of the broadcast. Uh, and this week we are welcoming Kyle Orth of Blowfish uh, Studios. Hey, how's it going? Hello. Uh, how are you doing this morning or afternoon? It's morning for me here in Australia. Uh, good so far, yeah. yeah. What part of Australia are you in? We're in Sydney. Sydney, there we go. Okay, so right in the so middle of the most of the people in Australia, part of Australia. Yeah. Well, it's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Australia is actually a really big place. Yes. Anyway. Lots um, of desert. Yeah, I, I've actually been to Australia you know, a few times, but uh, that's neither here nor there. Anyway, so as we like to start with our uh, at the top of our interviews, how did you first get interested in video games? Right. Well, I guess the the beginning would have been from playing some video games. Um, uh, yeah, I played with my brothers when I was younger. We just played on our uh, SNES and I had the N64 and went from there. Um, but what really got me into um, wanting to get into making them or doing anything with computers was, I don't know, I saw the inside of a computer. My brother was installing a DVD drive, which, oh, that was revolutionary at the time. And he was putting that in, opened up the computer, and I just saw the in, all of the bits and pieces, and I was just like, I have to know how this works. Yeah, I remember when my older brother installed his, like, not just a DVD drive, but like a DVD RW drive. Oh, Dana. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Which is now some really dated tech in the year of 2016, but, yeah, that that was stuff that not only could you play DVDs, but you could write to DVDs, and, you know, that was really helpful for playing some games. And the movie industry was not happy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm like... Uh, anyway, so... Um, getting into the industry, was that a choice you made at, like, the college level, or was that something that happened, um, like, later on? Like, you were working in another field, and you just you know, worked your way into video games? Uh, it was pretty much straight from high school, really, which would have been, what, when I'm 18 or so. Mm-hmm. Not sure if that's the same over in the US, but from there, then I went to college, uni, uh, studied, I did IT, just some information technology stuff, but 
made a lot of gains then. Um, and I just knew I knew from the very beginning of of getting into IT that that's what I wanted to do. Wanted to get into games. And um, well, did you study for it or? Yep, I I had I had a few subjects that were around games. I got to do a lot of programming. Um, so I made a bunch of games in my free time. Part of part of the degree was some games as well. So I've just been playing around with stuff for quite a while. Like, uh, what was this, like the early 2000s? Uh, yep, around there. The first game I ever made was, uh, you know, Snake for the Nokia phones. I made a clone of that for, for PCs. Mm-hmm. Made it multiplayer, added a few cool, funny things in there. Yeah. Yeah, and, um, right, so was, is Lofish your first job in the video game industry, or did you work in other positions beforehand? So Blowfish was the first video game job I had. I worked just doing some programming stuff with other places before, but nothing game related. I've been here oh, about four or five years now. Um, and yeah, just been doing game coding, managing stuff. It's been great fun. And uh, were you a co-founder of the studio or did you come along at a later point? I came along just at a later point. So we started up in late 2010, early 2011. Um, and I joined shortly after that, so I was the first first employee, really. Mm. Um, and so I've been there from almost from the very beginning, but not technically not a co-founder. I see. And what attracted you to Blowfish? I guess um, just the variety of games that they were making. They were working on some cool stuff, and since being here, I've been able to make so many cool, very different things. Got to play around with a lot of new tech that comes out. So it's just been a, a great, fun experience, really. Mm. And getting to make games, which is what I really love to do. So, win-win. Indeed, indeed. Uh, well, let's uh, talk about some of the games. Like, uh, some of the early projects, uh, from what I see here, is a lot of mobile stuff. Like, uh, yeah. Cubism, Hungry Monster, Razor Salvation, and the like. Uh, how involved were you with those? Uh, some of them, not so much. But, like, Cubism, Hungry Monster, they were just before my time. They uh, just finished them. I did some porting for them. So I ported them over to Windows Phone, I think, and other little bits and pieces. Razor Salvation was my first big project. Uh, so I worked on that from start to finish. All, the, all this mobile stuff in the early days. So there was, there was lots of different games that I've been through. Uh, and I'm curious, what was it like working on the Windows Phone? Because we just don't get a lot of people who work on that uh, platform. Yeah, well, the main reason why we did, I I really love, I've got a Windows phone myself, the only person in this office who does, but I really love it. Uh, it's just a really nice phone. And so I was like, hey, we should put our games on here. And so we did. Uh, I think Microsoft's trying to jumpstart Windows, uh, Windows uh, Mobile, uh, Windows Phone 10 or whatever they're calling it. Yeah. At some point. Yeah, Windows 10 is looking pretty good. I've got a lot of cool things happening, um, but still early days. We'll have to see where it goes. Yeah. Well, it's supposed to be a big part of the um, Universal Windows platform. Uh, Mm. uh, Well, we know a dev that's actually working in that ecosphere, and their game is going to be on all the the Microsoft stuff. Not not just... Windows 10, but you know Xbox One, uh, you know Windows Phone, all you know even tablets. You know, so. 
it's interesting stuff. And anyway, so I suppose the big hits, or at least the games you're probably most known for, are the Siegecraft games. Yeah. All right. Uh, so for those who might not know what the what the series is, what's it about? So the first Siegecraft game was well, Siegecraft. Mm-hmm. That was out on uh, mobile back what is it four years ago now I think mm. maybe five years um, and so this one it's sort of like um, it was sort of like a 3D Angry Bird sort of game you've got a catapult you've got a crossbow and you're aiming and shooting down targets um, uh, we've got a few other Seatraft games the next one was TD or Seatraft Defender which was a tower defense game based off the Seatraft universe so we got those lizard coming back, we've got the night, um, and the new game we've got coming out soon is Sitchcraft Commander, which is again in the same universe, we've got the same characters coming back, but very different gameplay, this one especially. Well, how does it differ? So, for Commander, it's, um, it's sort of like a, more of an RTS style sort of game, it's a bit hard to explain in words, but when you see it, you can understand it, but basically you've got You've got your buildings, you've got your towers, and you're shooting out buildings from there. Uh, so it's sort of like a spider web. You're branching out your, your base and shooting projectiles, shooting buildings. Everything is shot from your towers. The objective is to go around, kill the other players, wipe them out, just like an RTS. Hmm. It reminds me of Dungeon Defense. That's what that yeah, Dungeon Defense. Uh, it's a little bit different. So. There's a really old game called Moonbase Commander, which is similar to what we've done with Siegecraft Commander. So we've built around that and built on top of that lots of uh, awesome new features we've got. Um, but it's it's something many people won't have seen anything like it. It's it's just no one's really used this this genre really. It's, it's different. <laughs> but I'm excited for it. Well, how far along is Siegecraft Commander? We're coming towards the end now, so it should be out later this year. So that's going to consoles uh, rather than mobile for this. It, so, yeah, it'll be out in a few months' time, really. It should. Right, and um, uh, do you think the console audience will be receptive to Siegecraft? Uh, yeah, I think so. So definitely for this Siegecraft Commander, the controls just really fit to a, a joystick really well. So you can... You can play it very easily on your on your Xbox controller, your PS4 controller. Um, it just it just comes naturally there. So it's it's not requiring a touch interface this time. It's going to work really well whatever you do have. Uh, speaking of the touch interface, going back to the original Seedcraft, um, how hard was it to program you know the physics in such in a real time 3D environment? So it wasn't too difficult. So we've been using the Unity game engine. Uh, and so that takes care of a lot of the heavy lifting that we have to do. Uh, so we just have to really grab that touch input. We've got to make it feel good, you know, tweak that. It's a lot of tweaking the physics, tweaking the input, the speed of things, the power. But once you get it just right, then it all just sort of falls into place. And uh, what kind of monetization does Seatcraft uh, series use? Is it premium? Is it free-to-play? Is it a mixture? Are you... there's, yeah, it's sort of a mixture. We've got... Originally, it was launched as premium, the first Siegecraft. Um, it later got a 
a light version, which was free and had ads in it. Um, Fishcroft Defender was the theme, uh, and it had ads in a later date as well. So Fishcroft Command is going to be, again, a premium, so just pay up front. We haven't done much in the free-to-play area. Uh, it's more been more focused on the premium, pay once, get the game. And that's been working fairly well. It, it's, it's fit for the game. Well, it's good to hear because, you know, like the, the dominant mobile model these days is, you know, some iteration of free-to-play. Mm. Yeah, there's, there's the advantages and disadvantages to both. Free-to-play, you know, some people really enjoy it because you can get games for free. You don't have to pay a cent. But then others are like, oh, just they're just trying to steal, you know, money-hungry, trying to get, get everyone to pay them everything. We'll talk more about this when we get to Gunscape. Uh, what platforms are you aiming with uh, Siege Prep Commander? Uh, so we're going for the consoles. That'll be our primary target. And it'll come out to Steam as well at the same time. So I'll have Xbox, PS4, uh, PC, Mac, and Linux. And I also see you're playing a version for the NVIDIA Shield. Ah, uh, yes. So I'll have some for NVIDIA Shield and the, the Shield TV. So. That should be cool to get that going too. As far as again, I don't know much about the Shield series. Like, uh, it's one of those things that nobody talks about a lot these days. Yeah, the Shields are—they're actually very powerful. They're a good device. It's just maybe people don't don't know so much about them. So, the Shield TV is is really good. It, it can run games really well. It can stream games as well. So for a for like a, a gaming box to plug into your TV, it's like the, the perfect solution. And uh, moving onwards, uh, we're not done with Siege Prep because I see you have a Siege Prep VR in development. Yep. So we'll be doing some VR with, within Siege Commander as well. So the way the game works, it can it, it adjusts really well to the to having a VR headset and VR controls. So we've been playing around with the, the new HTC Vive, um, getting some Oculus Rifts going, and they're working really well. Um, we're aiming to release that at the same time with the Truck Commander, but we'll have to see how things go. Still a little way off. Right. Well, here's a question. Um, is there a big difference between the Oculus Rift and the HTC Vive? So, not so much. In terms of like the quality and the... The visuals, they look fairly similar. Um, they're both quite good. The Vive does have the advantage of having a whole room space where you can walk around the room. You've got the motion, the tracked controllers that you've got as well, which the, the Oculus doesn't have just yet, but they will be coming out soon for Oculus. So when they come out, uh, it'd be hard to tell the difference between the two. They'd be, they'd be almost similar, but have very similar functionality. And I think you know, they'll both do a great job at the VR. It's just, you know, good luck getting your hands on one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're all, all sold out. Everyone bought them as soon as you could. It's not uh, that, but apparently they're having, they're having like, manufacturing problems with the VR headset. Uh, and, uh, like, I, I know one of them ran into an unexpected art shortage. It, it, it's kind of really put a damper on the launch because, well, no, nobody can get their orders. Like, yeah, that's true. Like, both, 
I think the wait time to get an Oculus Rift right now is like August. No joke. So, mm. Yeah, they, they both had some little minor issues getting them out, getting them in people's hands in time. But once you get them, um, yeah, it's it's worth the wait. Have you tried VR yourself? Uh, no, we probably are a long way off from getting VR headsets ourselves. Mm-hmm. They are pretty cool. We've had people talk about VR on our program before, and they, uh, they seem to be pretty enthusiastic. It's just, you know, yeah. I, I don't think anyone in our uh, uh, crew here has the budget to have a full VR rig yet. Yeah. yeah, and I'm a little bit headache-prone anyway, so it's not really on my yeah. definitely-do list. Yeah, I get motion sick even if there's head bob in a game. I don't think I could handle VR. Yeah, that's how it is with some people. You just, you'd have to try it to find out if you'll be able to handle it or not. We've got some people here who just they just can't do it, so they stay away from it. Yeah, we've had developers, who, even though they work in VR, they can't stand it because they get the motion sick. Yeah. yeah. So... What kind of experience are you aiming for with SageCraft VR? So it's going to be, it, it'll be almost the same gameplay. Mm-hmm. It is the same gameplay that SageCraft Commander will have. It'll have a more, a different viewpoint, really. You'll get to look around the whole battlefield all at once. You'll get to interact with the, the game in a different way. So you've got the tracked controllers to select your unit, your towers. So it is going to be the same game. and. In theory, you could verse players, one person playing in VR, one person not, hypothetically, um, because the game would be running the same code behind the scenes. And have you looked at the PlayStation VR yet? Yeah, so we've been looking at the PlayStation VR. We'd like to get our hands on that. We don't have a dev kit for it yet, but um, it is on our, on our, in our site for Future of Canada. So we'll, we'll be going to PS4. So getting the PS4 VR is just one step after that. Right, right. Well, it makes sense but because the the PSVR isn't launching until the fall, I believe. So mm. I'm like, I have no idea when Sony is sending out the dev kits. So yeah, uh, just have to see. Uh, wait and see on that. No. Anyway, so moving onwards, uh, Gunscape. Mm. All right. So this is a really interesting project. Um, we did a review of it not too long ago. We rather liked it. I think uh, we found it was a very solid game. And we wish we could have done more, but time constraints. We couldn't get into any, like the building part. Mm. Off, but I'm like, you know, we really couldn't like build a level because we just didn't have time. But anyway, so for those who might not know what Gunscape is, what is it? Okay, so Gunscape, it's a uh... <coughs> It's an FPS game where you can create your own levels with the built-in level editor. So all of the maps are made within the game itself. You put them down block by block, just like Minecraft style, building up your level. You put down everything in the level. So if you want to put down weapons or ammo or spawn points, those are the blocks. Um, once you finish building levels, you can upload it to our servers and everyone anywhere can play in your own levels. So it's sort of like community-based map creation. And where did the idea for this come from? You know, other than say like Minecraft, like, like why did why did you wanted to build a FPS construction thing? Yeah, um, I don't know. I guess everyone had really been looking back at the classic FPS games, so Quake and Doom and all of the GoldenEye, the split screen with GoldenEye. So lots of 
lots of older games, and then adding on top of that, making it really easy for people to make your own maps. So we wanted to combine the two of them together. We brought the old-style classic FPS shooters with an easy-to-use map creator and put them both together. Mm. Yeah, I noticed a lot of old-school flavor in the in the design, like a lot of homages to like GoldenEye and Doom, Quake, Rise of the Triad, and uh, Turok. Mm. Yeah. yeah, so we we took a lot of inspiration from FPS games we loved. There's there's a lot of older ones, some newer ones, uh, a good mix. Um, and basically, with with all of these scenes, you can create your own levels in that style. You know, you can put down some some Turok style outdoor trees and jungle, and then go inside and have a more of a portal style room. And uh, what was your role on this uh, project? So I was the lead programmer. I took care of a lot of the programming side of things, just getting that all done. Um, and I did a lot of the networking stuff, some of the map creation and the all of the server sort of based stuff where you're saving and sharing your maps. Mm. Yeah, and uh, I remember we ran through the uh, campaign. Mm. Because it's not just like single player stuff, but you can have like multiplayer stuff and, uh, you know, like, what was the impetus behind that choice? And, you know, was it hard to, you know, balance like the the single player and the multiplayer stuff? Yeah, we wanted to have pretty much anything you do, you can do single player or multiplayer. So um, if you make a a single-player style map where, you know, you're fighting against AI enemies to reach the end, um, then that can be played cooperatively with, you know, 20 friends if you want. Um, uh, So, yeah, that was all built in. The networking and multiplayer was all set up so it could handle it. So we were just like, hey, if you want to play with 20 friends going through a campaign, then why not? Uh, There's nothing stopping us from locking it down to just one player. So we thought we'd open it up. And the same with map creation. When you're building a map, you can play with a bunch of friends and you can you know, get a map done so fast. Everyone can do their own little section and you're, you're done in half an hour. Mm. Right. And uh, what's been the reception from the, fan ba- uh, from the base so far? Especially since it came out of early access for recently. Yeah, so it just came out last month, the start of March. Uh, overall, people have been enjoying it. Um, they've been... A few bugs here and there, which we've been catching out, so trying to get it all fixed up. Uh, but overall, yeah, there's some really crazy, incredible maps that people have been making. We've been looking into them, um, and we've been playing with people, so it's, it's been a lot of fun seeing what people are creating. And uh, what are some of your favorite creations thus far? Oh, boy. Um, some people have made really, really big maps. They've made... Uh, very accurate recreations of older classic levels, classic maps. Mm. There's one of um, an Unreal Tournament, that uh, what's it called, Facing Worlds. So you got the two towers. That was a really, really cool map to see. Um, and then just some, some people have been using puzzles and traps and different blocks in ways that I hadn't thought about. So they made really interesting, challenging puzzles. Sounds about right. Like uh, I remember when we were playing the game, we saw a lot of uh, levels for, you know, uh, Goldeneye. Like the, mm. the recreation of the dam level that sticks out. 
Yeah. Yeah, so they had that. They laid it out almost the same as the original GoldenEye Dan level. That was quite impressive. And then they, they even got the enemies place. They've got the weapons and secrets. So you can hide the weapon off through a little hidden door. Uh, so, yeah, it's just crazy to see what, what people are actually using it for. And is the game was the game built in Unity or another mil, uh, middleware engine, or is it using like proprietary technology? No, we're using Unity as well. As well, uh, so Unity for Dubscape and Commander, all of our games have been with Unity so far. Hmm. But we've built a lot on top of that. So like the editor is our own custom stuff. The level editor, it's created with Unity, but there's a lot, a lot of extra stuff that we put into it. It's good to hear. It's good to hear. Yeah, like we get a lot of people who work in Unity on this show. Like mm. I definitely say, by far the most used in engine we hear about. So it's always interesting to see how, you know, how different people approach uh, the tool sets. Yeah. yeah. Well, we've just found it. It just saves us so much time. We have all of the platforms. We can just uh, set it up once, and it will build to every platform that we support. All you know, all of that hard work is taken care of for us. So. Yeah, we couldn't be happy with it. Makes sense. Makes sense. Now, uh, using a cube-based building structure, um, was that because of earlier FPSs being very you know, blocky, very you know, uh, square designed, or was that due to other factors? Uh, a little bit of that, yeah. Um, but also, it's just it makes it very easy for anyone to understand how to build a level. So if we if we took away the cube base and say made it a more complex map editor where you can you know create lines and angles and exact measurements, then that goes way past the level that a lot of people are going to work with. Whereas this, it makes it quick and easy. Anyone can just jump in and everyone knows how to build blocks. You've played with Lego. Lots of people have played Minecraft. So by just keeping it to blocks, it keeps it simple. People, everyone is it's very accommodating for everyone to make a map. I can, I can definitely see that. Yeah. And, um, well, how many people work at uh, Blowfish? We've got about 16 people here. Hmm. Maybe half artists, half programmers, roughly that. And uh, how many people work on uh, Gunscape in the game? Probably everyone did a little bit. Um, we had just a smaller team who were the core team working on it. Maybe about three programmers working on it a lot and just as many artists. Yeah. It sounds about right. And let's see. Uh, right, so the pricing structure. Now, this game is at least on uh, the PC, is ostensibly free to play, yes? So on Steam, there's the, the free version where you can you can play the shoot mode and uh, you get a few scenes for the crafting, but the the main selling point is the twenty dollar pack. So twenty dollars for the standard pack and a standard edition on gun on Xbox One and PS4, and that'll give you you know full access to all the themes, all the blocks, and crafting that way. Yeah, and uh, there's also a what, gold edition. Yeah, so we've got the gold edition, which is the equivalent of like a season pass included with the game. So you'll get an additional gold theme, a few extra pretty blocks that you get to use, and all the future DLC theme packs will get chucked in there as well. So it's like 
buy it once, buy it for life. Yeah, that's it. You get you get every theme pack that will make forever. Uh, that's why I like the free-to-play structure of this game, because it doesn't restrict... Uh, like You can actually play the game without dealing with, you know, well, those free-to-play elements that are so harrowing. You know, the the mm. free-to-play stuff is more on the construction side of things. Yeah. Get the, the numbers for being able to play, so lots of people can be playing together, shooting together, and then the map creation, that's just sort of taken off on its own, and a lot of people are making really awesome maps. So um, even with you know having a single thing of blocks, people can make crazy impressive maps. Indeed. And uh, let's talk about the console versions. Um, did you have to compromise the design at any point to get it on the PlayStation 4 or the Xbox One? No. So the game is essentially the same. Everything's the same behind the scenes. There's, there's you know, there's slight differences. We've got um, all of the Xbox Live achievements. We've got the PS4 trophies, which are different on each platform. But uh, essentially, the game is identical. There, there are some, some little differences. So, for like PS4 and Xbox, we have to respect the, the uh, user privacy settings. So. There's a lot of user-generated content, which is tricky to deal with. And, you know, if you're a child account, you're not allowed to see this and that. And then we have to filter text. But the, the core game is the same. I see. Right. So good. It's not like Minecraft. Minecraft. No, it's, it's the same. Whether we push an update to Steam and PC, it'll go out to the consoles too, and everyone will get it together. Indeed. And um, uh, is the game cross-platform in any capacity? Like, can my PC players play with uh, Xbox One players, for example, you know, PlayStation 4? Yeah, so right now, uh, what you can do, if you make a map from Xbox One, and once you share that, anyone on any platform can play it. So your maps and that you create are shared to everyone. Everyone else's maps are shared to you. So all of the maps go into one big pool. Uh, in terms of the multiplayer part, though, so right now, if you want to play, you know, a capture the flag game, you can only play with people on your platform. So Xbox versus Xbox, PS4 versus PS4. But uh, you might have heard in the news the whole cross-play announcements with Microsoft and Sony. So we're actually looking into getting that implemented. So don't have any official announcements, but hopefully soon we'll have something ready. Probably best to make it uh, cross-play with those two platforms, because well, uh, last platform with the PC is going to be difficult. Not for any technological reason, but you know, more keyboard and mouse is just better than using a controller. Yeah, yeah. So there's that aspect. But then on the other side, there's the crafting mode, which you know, it's not the competitive shooting and killing people. That's where you're just being able to build together, no matter what platform, is a is a nice thing to have. No doubt. So we're still figuring out exactly what to do there, but yeah, crossplay is what we want to aim for soon. And as I understand, this game is also scheduled to come to the Wii U. Uh, is that still happening? Yep, so we've been doing a lot of work on the Wii U. It's very close, like, towards the very, very last stage. So um, I'd say sometime very soon is when we want to get the Wii U out. Right. And I was just working on it this morning, actually. Right, and in regards to that platform, well, it, mm. 
it's relatively well known that the Wii U doesn't have the horsepower of the PlayStation 4 or the Xbox One. So have you had to scale the game to fit that hardware? Um, not so much. So again, it's going to be the same game. That's been some of the difficulties in why Wii U hasn't launched just yet, because we've just got some performance-related issues. But that's what we're trying to nut out now. Um, essentially, all it would be is, you know, on Xbox, we're 1080p. Mm-hmm. On Wii U, it might end up being 720p, just lower res. But we want to keep the game the same. There won't be limitations on how many blocks you can place or, you know, how big your map can be. Well, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> right, and uh, so speaking of the Wii U, are you looking into having special gamepad functionality, especially since this is a crafting game, and I can see the Wii U gamepad being very useful for that uh, aspect? Yeah, so we're trying to get some stuff in. One thing we've got going now is we've got the multiplayer, so you can have four people playing split screen on the TV with Wii remotes or Wii Pro controllers, and then a fifth player on the gamepad playing on their screen. So you can do up to five-player uh, multiplayer. Like uh, any asymmetrical ideas spring forth? I've got, I've made a map actually where you've got, it's basically one player versus the rest. And so in this case, it's worked really well. The one person's playing on their gamepad, all the other four are trying to, you know, reach the end without getting, being killed by him. So it's really up to, you know, the map creators to create cool stuff for it. Well, it's good to hear that that's actually in the game because, you know, that is the sadly really unfulfilled potential of what the Wii U could do. Like, if anyone's played, like, Zombie U on the platform, they'll know what I'm talking about. So it's always good to see a game, you know, utilize that structure, even mm-hmm. if in the hands of the uh, players. Mm-hmm. So, and yeah. shooting for the same pricing structure as the Xbox One and PlayStation 4 versions on the Wii U? Yep, it'll be the same all around, hmm. give or take a tiny bit, but it should be pretty much the same. Okay. Uh, and are you looking to launch the Wii U version simultaneously, or is it going to be like in Europe first, or America first, or something like that? I'd say simultaneously worldwide. Everywhere that we can launch, we'll go all at once. Okay. And, well, we're getting uh, low on time, so just a couple more questions. Right, uh, so... Uh, what are you doing in terms of DLC for uh, Gunscape? Yeah, so we've got plans for um, DLC in the future. The next one that we've got confirmed is called Seismic, another theme pack based off System Shock. Ooh. So that, that'll that be coming out in the uh, not-too-distant future. And it's just it's going to add a whole new theme for crafting. So you've got you know uh, different blocks to build with, different weapons to try out, different enemies to fight, a um, bunch of things to just I thought you mapped a bit. As is with many of the other themes that have that kind of yeah. different components. Yeah, so it'll be a, a full on theme, bunch of new things going in there, um, and just more variety with them. Every weapon that we've made has been unique in its own little way, uh, so these weapons will be the same. They'll have their own unique characteristics. We don't want to just make a clone of, hey, it's another pistol, it just does one less damage. There certainly have been games that have fallen into that trap. Mm. And uh, so are you going to be releasing the DLC on PC first, or is that going to be a simultaneous you know, console PC deal? That should be the same again, simultaneously to all platforms. Mm. So it'll all go out to everyone at the same time. 
that's good. And um, what sort of price range are you uh, aiming for from size and fat? I don't know. We haven't discussed that yet. Uh, well, I do know the gold founder will get it included for free, so they'll already have that added on. Um, as for everyone else to buy it individually, uh, I can't say right now, but not too much. Okay. Fair enough. And um, can you talk about any future DLC, or is that still uh, shrouded in the clouds? It's a bit shrouded in the clouds. We've got other other ideas, and uh, we've been talking to the community about what people want. So we've got lots of great ideas for what we can do, but can't lock anything in just yet. And so my final question in regards to Gunscape is, what is your stance and policy on modding? Yeah. Um, so basically, we wanted to open it up so that the game, you know, the built-in editor has all of the modding that it needs. So we've seen some people requesting, say, creating their own theme packs, you know, making their own blocks and textures and doing that sort of thing, which we think it's, it's great. It's a, definitely a down-the-track thing. It's not going to come anytime soon, but there's a lot of issues around that in terms of, you know, if people create some textures that are, you know, inappropriate textures and we have to go through and remove them out, filter them, add these. But, yeah, ideally we want to be able to make it so that the editor itself has all of the modding tools that people need so that they can make whatever map or game mode or game type that they, they can think of. Makes sense. It's just, you know, I can definitely see, you know, the PC landscape being what it is, you know, people modding the game in you know, various ways that you might not have intended because like, that, that, that's just kind of what happens, especially like with FPS. Like. Yeah, that's true. So I think, yeah, if we did open it up to the modding, like the flexibility that Minecraft had, there'd be a lot of crazy things that come out of that. We've, all, we've already been getting a lot of good ideas from um, the community talking to us through the forums and things of, of you know, just ideas that they've come up with and they think that they would want, they'd want to do. So there's a lot of things that we want to implement ourselves, um, but I don't know how, I couldn't say when or if the full-on modding support would come out, for PC at least. Mm. Fair enough, fair enough. And um, can you, finally, can you speak to anything, uh, you know, non-Siegecraft or Gunscape related that uh, Lowfish might be working on at this point? Um, we're watching a lot of things. Some not so exciting, mm -hmm. but uh, yeah, we'll have a lot of chance for more VR in the future. Um, after we get Siegecraft Commander out, we'll be able to work on some new projects coming up. So that's been exciting for all of us, but there's no, no new titles that we've announced yet, nothing, nothing locked in yet, so it's, it's open, for, open for possibilities. All right. Uh well, uh, we certainly look forward to it, and we might have you on the program again to talk about those. Yeah, sounds good. You know, you know, we enjoyed Gunscape. We, you know, we're interested in reviewing Siegecraft Commander if it's coming to Steam. Yeah, it will. All right, and uh, yeah, looking forward to see uh, to seeing how all that shapes up. Yeah, cool. All right, yeah. So the game is Gunscape. It's available now on. Uh, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and PC. The PC version is free to play if you're just looking to like play the levels. And it's available, it's got a gold edition that is available for $40. And it's what, $20 on console? Yeah, 20 on console, 40 for the 
gold full edition. Yeah, and the regular edition is also twenty dollars. Yeah. All right. And um, be sure to look for it on the Wii U. I'm presuming about the same price. Yep, it'll be the same. Yeah. Hopefully, and, sometime soon. Yeah. And also uh, look for the Siegecraft pack in Q2 2016. Yep. All right, uh, thank you very much for taking time out of your schedule and uh, look forward to having you back uh, in the future. All right, uh, yeah. Ben? Yeah, good. Yeah, good. All right, welcome to the topic of discussion. Um, this week we're talking about Bioshock. We were supposed to talk about this last week, but our interview ran long, so, well, first of all, it got changed to the Siege of Dragon Sphere stuff, but, you know, we ended up addressing that in the review, so... Yeah. Well, yeah, that took some time, but it had to take some time. Adam had to vent his rage. (laughs) Yes, yes, I did. Believe me, I, you know, I didn't intend on taking a half an hour to get to the actual game part of the game, but that happened. So, given that I've thoroughly gotten that situation out of my system, we can talk about Bioshock now. Anyway, you know, we were supposed to talk about Bioshock because we had our friend Steven on the program and, you know, System Shock and all that and wanted to talk about the other shock. But, you know, such is life. Uh, anyway, so Bioshock. Who here has actually played the game, aside from me? I have played it. I have not beaten it. Mm. Yeah, I never really had anything to play it on until I got Steam, and since I've had Steam, I've had other games to play because it's been for the show. Right. And I don't think Ogre's played it yet, although... Yes, being the operative word. (laughs) Well... I say that because he may one day just snap and do a let's play of this because, well, one of the one of the key themes of um, Bioshock is objectivism and basically tearing it a new asshole. I don't I don't think there's any other way to put it. Like th- this game is pretty definitively on the side of yeah, objectivism is a bad idea, and here is why. Who would have guessed? I hope you like your societal collapse. Yeah. I mean, you know, like, like it's put in the game, you know, everyone thinks they're a cat's in the industry, but, you know, you still have to have people to wash the dishes and shit. You know, and, you know, like Andrew Ryan, his actions are pretty much like ultimate hypocrisy. Like, you know, he he's the one who postulates, you know, no gods, no kings, only men, and, you know, is the worker not entitled to to the sweat of his brow and the, you know, the feast of his land, and, you know... All that stuff that then, yeah, once you're in charge, you you start finding exceptions. You know, and, you know, the artist is going to be free of the censors, and the scientists are going to be free of ethical considerations, and, you know, businesses are going to be able to have what they have, and, you know, Andrew Ryan just does everything to destroy his own philosophy because, you know, as it turns out, there are other selfish assholes in the world who want to be top dog. 
Who would have thought? Apparently not Andrew Ryan. He thought he was going to be on top the whole time. You know, but that ended up not being the case because, you know, in the backstory, he he gets into this, he gets basically into a civil war with this gangster named Frank Fontaine. More on him in a bit, but, you know, the overall point is, you know, he, you know, his big, his perhaps biggest act of hypocrisy is he basically nationalizes Frank Fontaine's businesses. You know, like Frank Fontaine is, what he's doing is he's garnering a lot of sympathy with the lower classes and, you know, he's opened up orphanages to, you know, feed the poor and all that stuff. And, you know, Ryan basically responded by taking all that away because fuck you, I'm the man now. And, you know, it's a move that's completely at odds with the whole objectivist philosophy, but completely in keeping in with, you know, actual reality. I know Bioshock isn't, you know, real or anything, but this is kind of what actually would happen if Gulf Gulf were real. You know, it, it would basically descend into civil war as all the all the selfish assholes try to eliminate all the other selfish assholes. Anyway, there is a game attached to this. Yes. I'm Eventually. Well, it's like... We just have to make it certain that we understand how much we don't care for this ideal. Yeah. Well, yeah, and and the game is, you know, wrapped around... I, I'm getting to the game part of the game because a lot of that comes into play with, like, the big... Oh, yeah, absolutely it does. With the big daddies, the little sisters, the splicers. You know, everything... You know, everything's descended into ruin because of this conflict. And also because of, well, you know, that whole science without ethical considerations, it generates things like the Big Daddy, you know, it, which is basically a, you know, a skeletal human strapped to a diving suit, you know, forced to wander around, you know, like a fucking zombie, protect- protecting this little girl who has a uh, slug that excretes the uh, yeah. local deus ex machina, no, uh, local, well, yeah. MacGuffin, but whatever the proper word for that is. Um, All-purpose pur- plot uh, filler. I yes. Think. You know, called Adam. And, you know, that's you... that are not symbolic at all. Yeah. And there's Obviously, a- why would you call something that's so important in the foundation for a new humanity Adam? Yeah. That makes no sense whatsoever. And this a- game is many things. Subtle is not one of them. No, it is not. <laughs> and also the currency, you know... That yeah, I mean, look back to our earlier argument of, like, why did everything go wrong? Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and the currency is also called E. Now, but, like, like, Adam is, like... Yeah. ...is the stuff that, uh, like, fuels the plasmas and all the powers. You know, E is the stuff... It's the thing that makes genetics work like they do in the game as opposed to how they do in real life. Right. It allows you to shoot bees. Yeah, I'm like, and it allows you to shoot light, lightning, fire, um, telekinesis, ice. You know, but mostly bees. Yeah. Well, people remember the bee power up because that's actually the most unique one in the first game. Yeah, the bees is one that isn't in every other game. Yeah. Like, you know, and it's also a good reminder. So maybe not take this game too seriously because you've got a magical hand that shoots. Bees. You know, that's the kind of 
you just, can have magical hand that shoots these. Yeah, that's 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 strictly under the so stupid yet so awesome uh, dynamic. Uh, uh, but anyway, so this game is a first-person shooter in the lineage of the Shock series, though. It's streamlined. It's very streamlined from the System Shock games. Like, having played System... You know, I think we talked about this last week, but, you know, System Shock had a lot of inventory management to deal with. You know, like... And PC players really liked their clutchiness at times. <laughs> because, like, they weren't happy the fact that, like, you ate stuff automatically and you didn't have to switch guns by you know, flipping around your inventory. I'm like, I didn't miss that shit. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't miss it at all. But, uh, you know, it's like, you know, and, you know, why I really enjoyed Bioshock was it, it was a really, it was a really nice middle ground between highbrow concepts about objectivism, retrofuturism, and, you know, what have you, and, you know, FPS action. You know, believe me, that's harder to pull off than you might think. And plumbing puzzles, but, you know. Yeah. Uh, I'm like, yeah. The most interesting game of pipe dream you'll ever play. Yeah, that was probably the weakest, well, at least one of the weakest aspects of Bioshock. The, yeah, let's, let's play pipe dream for the hundred thousandth time. Yeah. Because that's how computers and locks work in this world, because it's, well, it's diesel like, punk-ish. Yeah, well, we were actually debating this um, in the writer's room, what this actually is, because, you know, there are a lot of punks, more than you might think. You know, it's like, it's not steampunk, because that's Victorian, that's 19th century. There is a lot of steam, but that's partially because it's underwater. It's yeah. not the highest technology available. Yeah, it's diesel pump. That's because you know, um, you know, when you get to the 30s and 40s, the highest um, level of technology is diesel. Like somebody said, Fallout was diesel pump. No, it's not. It's apparently a thing called atom pump because Fallout is strictly in the 1950s aesthetic of the nuclear age. It's kind of the point of Fallout. It's in the name, people. Like, anyway. I thought, I thought it was Fallout for one of those famous diesel bombs. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Anyway, yeah. So, this game borrows a lot of iconography from the 1930s. Even though it's like 1959, it's definitely invoking Art Deco retro-futurism. Yeah, part, well, part of the point of it is that Rapture was founded. Right in that era and still looks like it, or at least the parts of it that haven't gone to shit do. Yeah. And, you know, um, Ken Levine was apparently influenced by, you know, like uh, the statue of Atlas at Rockefeller Center. Now, indeed, you, you know, your main guiding light, as it were, is named Atlas. <laughs> as we said, this game isn't very subtle. He shrugs a lot. Yeah. <laughs> oh, damn it. Yeah. And he also makes officers give up on literary works. <laughs> uh, yes, that, the Anne Ryan connection. Anne Ryan? Oh. Doesn't matter. No one, no one well, actually knows how to pronounce her name, so don't 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 be concerned about that. 
But I think the bigger point is that when I hear her words come up, and I ran, so... Ha! <laughs> I ran so far away. But I couldn't get away, because I'm on the internet, so... Oh, I try to run, but my headset keeps pulling me back. Yeah. And, uh... It's like, arguably, Bioshock might have been the game to really popularize the audio log. Um method of storytelling. I know it's in System Shop 2, and but I'm like, how do I put this? X amount of people played Bioshock, X divided by, say, 3 or 4 played System Shock 2. I'm not saying that's, you know, or uh, System Shock 1. I'm not saying System Shock didn't invent that or whatever, but I'm like, Bioshock really fomented uh, it in the mainstream. Kind of like Hydrox basically is now meant known as a clone of Oreos and the other way. Invented the chocolate chocolate cookies with vanilla and cream sandwich in the middle, but then Oreo. Yeah. Although I think we are just kind of waiting for the the audio log trend to die out now just because it's been so yeah. played out. Well the problem is it's often not in Bioshock made it popular. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just you know and a lot of the uh, other games aren't as interesting, either in what they put in their uh, backstories or what have you. Uh, well, like, you know, Bioshock does it right because, you know, you don't have to listen to the audio logs, but if you don't, you miss a lot of the backstory. You miss a lot of what's going on with the, you know, like, characters you will never meet. Or, you know, you this is like how you learn the whole... War of Rapture, you know, what Dr. Chong ends up doing and, and how he meets his untimely end. In fact, you learn about your avatar's origins through the uh, audio logs. Yeah, because otherwise you never really do. Mm-hmm. Now, it's a pretty nifty way of uh, integrating the story into the game. You know, and as far as the action goes, it's all based around, you know, I'm not going to say rock, paper, scissors, but it is based off of a triangle system where you have, well, the big daddies on one end, your main enemies, the splicers, and you've got the robotic um, obstacles, turrets, and um, like little, you know, and other such. Um, Which, as mentioned, are programmed to be a pipe dream. Yeah. And this is where things get a little weird because, you know, you can hack these things to, you know, as Yachty said, said I didn't know uh, boiling water could uh, have allegiances. <laughs> it's like, but, you know, that that's just kind of one of the things you roll with when you're dealing with lower technology. I mean, like, steampunk is per, uh, probably the most absurd thing I've ever seen. Like, you know, but that's just kind of the universe you have to roll with. Um, I'm telling you, plumbing-based computing is the wave of the retro future. Yeah. You know, I will say one of the big problems with Bioshock was game balance. Because it was really easy to get into a, a, a combo situation where you could just overpower it. You know, like a, mm-hmm. telekinesis and bees, I think, was one of them. Uh, it, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like the telekinesis power was really underrated. Like, like if you're going for a low energy run, or you know, you can 
uh, use telekinesis because I think it's the the you know the one that le- uses the least amount of um, plasmid energy. But like I said, I'm not 100% clear because it's been a while since I've played the game. Uh, and, you know, I kind of forgot how, some of the nuances of combat. But, you know, it's, speaking of which, you also get tonics. They're basically your RPG-esque elements. You know, they do, they do things like you have more energy or you, you're more proficient in using lightning or fire or what have you. Or, you know, stunning lasts longer. I believe these are, in fact, made of Atom or something, and you have to buy them from the vending machines that stock on Atom. You buy them, or you find them, or you complete quests to get them. So, rather conveniently in this game, a set of um, uh, mostly, presumably abandoned uh, uh, auto-respawn booths. Yes, the Vita Chamber. Which, uh, the reason they work is kind of interesting and spoily, the reason they work for you, but... uh, Yeah. And, well, it's another concept lifted from System Shock, too. Like, that, that's based off of the regeneration uh, chambers of that franchise. Now, like I said, th- this game does borrow a lo- lot from System Shock and System Shock 2 because, well, some of the team worked on that game, and it's also, this is a spiritual successor to the, to the uh, System Shock series. Yeah. So it makes sense that a lot of it is lifted. Probably the most annoying part was the fact that it lifted... Basically, a lot of the same story beats. Like, especially, like, Atlas. Like, Atlas, well, turning out the way he yeah. does. Yeah, tell me if you've heard this one. Throughout most of the game, your, your uh, control person is a voice on the end of an internet connection. But after you've done a lot of things that they tell you to do, it turns out that they may have been morally suspect. Also, it turns out that Atlas is the bad guy. Yeah, and that's directly lifted from System Shock Two because System Shock Two played the exact same um, story beats. Like only, I'd say the the big reveal that um, I uh, like uh, Doctor. She's I've forgotten her name. Well, the Doctor. The, the main difference is that in System Shock it was a computer pretending to be a person, and this it's just a person pretending to be a different person. Right, and you know, it, it, it's quite amazing, because apparently it's an Irish guy playing an Italian uh, mobster playing an exaggerated Irish guy. Yeah, the actual actor for Atlas is Irish, and the character of Atlas Irish uh, accent, but Frank Fontaine, who is the actual character who it is. Sorry, that is technically spoilers, but this game is how old now? Uh, about nine years old. Yeah, he's a uh, he's from New York, so... Yeah, he, t- you know, he talks like a very stereotypical gangster. And honestly, that was the, that was always the problem I had with Frank Fontaine. He was just such a two-bit thug that I couldn't take him seriously as the great nemesis to Andrew Ryan. You know, it, it's like yeah, Andrew Ryan is sort of has a sort of gravitas to his stuff. Yeah, that, and. Frank doesn't really. Yeah, it's also. I'll be honest. You know the, you know the game really fell apart after the emotional climax of Andrew Ryan. I, I think I, I think everybody pretty much agrees that that it's I, one of the most like one of the more memorable emotional climaxes in a game. But it's also well then we get to the worst levels in the game. Yeah. Because well, 
The final level... As with most things that involve climaxes, it's always disappointing afterward. Yeah, because, well, you know, nothing changes tonally. Nothing, you know, you're, you know, you're still doing the same stuff. And the worst part is the last level is one big goddamn escort mission. Yeah, it's like... Yeah, you're in a big daddy suit escorting a little sister, I think. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that, that's basically what you're doing, and you have to protect the little sister from the splicers, and, you know, it it sucks in that way that all escort missions suck at. You know, being fun, being of value, being anything worthwhile. Yeah, fuck escort missions. I don't think I'm rocking the boat when I say that. You know, also the final boss confrontation was really lame. You know, like... You know, Atlas turns himself into, I don't know, the Incredible Popsicle, and it was just really unmemorable. And, yeah, you know, speaking of uh, popularizing annoying game mechanics, uh, binary choice morality system. Hey, there there are three possible endings. There's the good ending, the bad ending, and the slightly less bad ending. I know, but still, this is a binary choice ending. And, yeah, I know it's not the first game to do that or, you know, one of, it's one of the ones that popularized this shit. You know, yeah. BioWare's guilty of this, too, because, you know, you know, fucking Todor and Jade Empire did it, but I'm like, I think this is another mechanic that we are just fucking sick of at this point. The, you know, you must be either, you know, uh... St. Joseph of Arimathea, or, you know, fucking Pol Pot. <laughs> you and must be what? Jesus reborn upon the planet to lead the people again into an age of bliss, or you're fucking Satan. The down. binary choice is you either, because you have a choice in game of either saving the, big, the little sisters by removing their slugs, yeah. or killing the little sisters by draining them completely of the atom that the slugs produce. And uh, to be honest, there is not a, there's not that big of a reason to drain the little sisters. Right, because you get gifts for doing the right thing. So it's also you don't get that much more of an advantage by doing it. Right. If you want to see how the binary morality choice uh, works, actually go and play Kotor. Like Kotor actually understood like the dark side is easier, quicker. You know, more instantly rewarding. But yeah, the 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 binary or sort of trinary choice is yeah. that if you save all of them, you get the good ending. If you kill all of them, you get the bad ending. And if you kill any of them but not all of them, I think you get a slightly less bad ending. Pretty much. Like yeah. really slightly. Yeah, it's the bad. It's the diet bad ending. Yeah. It, you know, but and it did, and really, Bioshock should have been only one game. I will say that right now. I do not care what improvements Bioshock 2 may have brought to the formula. It's like, Bioshock was a standalone story with a definite beginning, middle, and end. It ended with everybody dying and Rapture basically being unusable. Yeah, the the story of Bioshock 1 is complete. 2, I don't know if it's a good game or a bad game, but it was not a necessary game. And And Infinite is really just kind of doing its own thing. Well, yeah, Infinite was was basically its own thing. 
And that's why I don't mind infinite in those terms. Like, honestly, you know, there was a lot of infinite that disinterested me, like trying to merge the mechanics of Bio, the Shock series, to fucking Halo and Call of Duty just didn't work. But it's not as offensive in terms of yeah, I mean, it's not really a sequel, so it's not as offensively a sequel. Sort of, but it, it does take place in the same universe, and you do go to Rapture via, well, the, you know, multi-dimensional fuckery that's going on in that game. But yeah, Bioshock 2 is just a game that didn't need to exist. It was just because, hey, the big daddies are cool. What if we made a game where you play one for the whole time? Yeah, at only, you know, as, as once again Yahtzee put it, you're just playing the guy from Systems, uh, from Bioshock 1 with a fishbowl over his head. And you did that in the first game. Now, it's like, and it's also, you know, they really tried to justify why the prototype Big Daddy is so much faster than the, uh, than the, you know, final product. And, no, sorry, that does, that's never how it works. Yeah, they basically came out with, um, well, he uh, his his prototype is less durable armor. Yeah, I'm like, no, it, it, it's like the the advantages inherent in the prototype Big Daddy are they would pick the speed over the the, the durability. Yeah, and the prototype actually probably would have been, or the the final product probably would have been better for a prototype because they're fucking invincible. Yeah. which is what you're looking for when you're trying to test stuff. You don't want it breaking. Yeah. Also, you know, durability probably would have been a lesser consideration to these people because, you know, oh, no, this big daddy breaks. We'll make more. You know. Also, really, who's going to look at a big daddy and go, like, yeah, I can take that? Well, the Spicers. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, they're yeah, not Remember, in addition to having so. superpowers from ridiculous genetic bullshit... They are also insane. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also, the, and what the second game introduces are the big sisters. And, you know, I you know I keep going back to Yahtzee, but he really nailed down a lot of the problems with Bioshock. Too. Like, the, the big sisters really don't serve any function. You know, they attack you, like, whether you attack a little, you know, a little sister or not. You know, it, it's like they... they com- Completely forgot to tie it to the morality system. You know, also the um, Bioshock 2 is now about communism. <laughs> like I said, I haven't played much of the game. I just didn't have a lot of interest in uh, playing this. No. Anyway, uh, so we're, we're getting low on time uh, for the episode. So final thoughts on Bioshock. Uh, let's see. I like it. Seems interesting. Uh, fuck objectivism. <laughs> I actually would like to play it sometime. Is it on Steam now? or? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's been on Steam. That's where I got my copy. Yeah. It's like, and it goes on sale pretty frequently. You know? And, yeah. you know, you should be able to play it because it's, you know, it was pretty technologically impressive in, say, 2007, but I'm like, like here's the thing. It's not even using real Unreal 3 engine, or at least... I oh, and uh, make sure you're not colorblind, or else that might ruin it some experience. Mm. Why? Is there a red-green issue that's important in the game more than usual? Yeah, I think the hacking involved red-green, so... Oh, yeah. Anyway... They actually changed that for Bioshock, too. Anyway, 
So next week, um, let's see, for our topic of discussion, we're going to be talking about fear effects. Because, well, fear effects... someone decided to make more of it. Well, we have connections to this that we'll all go into next week. Basically, we... Well, we know the... We're actually going to be interviewing the developer who's um, doing this Kickstarter. And we know that, you know, it's, it's a Square Enix collective project. And we know them. We're actually going to be interviewing them in June. I'm like, it's nice to know people. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, so... And Sometimes they I ruin it in one fell swoop. Yeah. Anyway, um, next week our guest is going to be, or at least should be, Jeremy Alessi of Midnight Status. Um, they haven't gotten back to me yet, but I'm like, sometimes this takes a few days. I'll ping them up tomorrow, as I usually do when I don't hear back from them. Um, so Midnight Status is a developer in Virginia that uh, handles a lot of stuff. Um, just, uh, like, a lot of stuff that we don't typically cover here. Uh, let me just uh, pull up their website. I'm not sure why I don't have it up here, but anyway... So, uh, yeah. Uh, sorry about this. I thought I had the information in front of me, but it was not here. Uh, yeah, so uh, they are, let's see. Uh, how do I, like, like, they do a lot of non-game stuff as well as game stuff. Like, they got this thing called CAR, Augmented Reality Automobile Photography. Airspin. Huh, that sounds interesting. Yeah. Uh, actually, Airspin is a game. Store and Explore are chart-topping game for Android and iOS. Uh, Selfski. Easily create a keyboard of your very own selfie emojis. I'm like, Pixel Fest. Um, Norfolk's first dedicated gaming festival. Norfolk, Virginia. Uh, Mario Made, the number one archive for Super Mario Maker levels. Uh, Swapfire, our first... That's just a website? I don't know, actually. I'm like, maybe? I'm like, we'll, we'll, we, we'll talk about it next week. Uh, like Swapfire, our first project for the Wii U. Uh, tunnel traffic, helping with Hampton Roads commuter with just a glance. So, yeah. This, this is going to be an unusual episode because, you know, mind you, they do make games, or else I wouldn't have got them for the show. But it's just they make more than games. They make mm-hmm. a lot of they make a lot of apps that aren't game related. So that's going to be interesting. You know, and uh, you know, look forward to it. Uh, the usual time. Um, I think MSP is next. We still haven't heard from Mac yet. But okay, he he may or may not have been devoured by the ghost of work and or something else. Yeah. And also, uh, we will be uh, recording a review on Sunday for Danganron Pod 2. Um, it's probably going to be a shorter review than uh, the first one, if only because this is definitely the justice for all of the franchise. That is to say, it, it, it adds some, it, it's, cha- it's changing some mechanics, but it's pretty similar to the first game. So, more on that on Sunday. And to that, I wish you good game.